Welcome to the Soul Center Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Master Healer Ariella Halevi and Rabbi Dr. Baruch Halevi. Rabbi B, your healer and guide on the journey of life. In this podcast, we will explore all things spirituality, meaning, and healing. From Kabbalah and the healing of your soul, to shamanic energy work and the healing of your past. From ancient wisdom traditions to guide your spirit, to modern tools to live your life. The Soul Center Podcast will empower you to discover your soul's purpose and inspire you to live a soul-centered life. And don't forget to check out Rabbi B's newest podcast, The Defiant Spirit. You can find it at mysoulcenter.org or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And now, on to our show. YouTube. Some are just listening on different podcast platforms. If you're watching on YouTube, I have slides that I'll actually just one slide. And if you're on audio, I'll make those slides available on the website. So no worries. If you are watching on uh, video, you'll notice probably my background's a little different these days. I um, had to relocate. My commute is now half the distance. It used to be downstairs and now it's in an upstairs bedroom that I turned into my office because I'm low man on the totem pole in a house full of six and that's actually six human beings and there's two cats and a dog. I am a low man and so we had a little issue in our basement with water. Um, kids moved upstairs. They displaced me and now I'm coming to you out of my newest studio but it doesn't matter where I am because I am very excited to be working on the Defiant Spirit, it is now up and ready for you as uh, my first program of the Enneagram, Defy Your Number, is available. Defy Your Number is an intro to the Enneagram through my particular philosophy or vantage point of the Enneagram, which is informed by Dr. Viktor Frankl. As you know, I am a student um, of Dr. Frankl. I am a logotherapist. He created logotherapy. Logos means meaning. So it's meaning-centered psychotherapy, philosophy, living. Uh, It's not just a therapy. It's really a way of being in the world. And his thesis in a nutshell was that we are not a number. God forbid you walk away from using my Enneagram system thinking you're a number. On the opposite, the Enneagram, based on this ancient system of nine numbers, nine personality types, from the view of Dr. Frankel would be that that's not who you are. That's how you react. That's where you go. That's where we all go when we're in fear, when we forfeit our ability to choose. You know, for Dr. Frankel, there was nothing more central to our humanity, to our being here than our ability to choose. As he said, this is the last of human freedoms, to choose your attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose your own way. And he said this in the Holocaust when he had no external choices. He was a physical prisoner. And yet this man, like so many great men and women during the Holocaust, but other times uh, of um, of atrocity, who were men and women who were enslaved, who were um, incarcerated, and yet he was free. They're free because they find freedom from within. And they always have the ability to choose their response, their attitude, even if they can't choose their circumstances. So the work that I'm doing around the Enneagram is using it. And it is an unbelievable system to look at how we forfeit our choice, where we go when we're on autopilot, how I, as Dr. Frankel would say, react instead of respond. And so how do I take back that power? Well, 
you have to be able to see where you've given up your power. And that's where I use the Enneagram and I bring it together with logotherapy and it's called Defy Your Number. It's the basics of the Enneagram system based on videos that I've created. So the, you get a bunch of videos, you have the uh, access to a an Enneagram assessment, an online test. You don't need to take the test. You can figure it out on your own by using my videos. Jump over to defiantspirit.org where you'll see Defy Your Number. You can learn more and I have some free gifts over there for you to get started before you even have to purchase the program. So I want to talk about now the next program I'm doing. I'm doing two more. One is going to be with my sister, Rebecca Rosen, and that's going to be called Nine Lives. And that's going to be around... Um, spirituality. And she is a psychic medium. So connecting to spirit, and that's one direction on one side. And then the other direction is my other passion, which is more of a, a business and financial program, because I, I wear two hats in my life. I And I don't see them as divorced at all. One is an explicitly spiritual path, which I've walked for many, many years. And then over the past 10 years, I've really been um, interested in business and uh, economics in, uh, I've, I've been a part of six or seven startups, um, two of which I, one of which I helped to take public, two of which went public and, um, just learning a tremendous amount about the business world and finance in particular, as I now really study and explore with my good friend, Michael Finer of Finer Wealth Management, who is a financial guru. And we've brought our passions together to explore that intersection between money and spirituality or soul or meaning or purpose. And so we're doing a lot of work right now behind the scenes on money and the Enneagram and how we can take back our power to choose. Um, that's what I want to talk about, just kind of an overview of this idea of money and the Enneagram and the different ways that each Enneagram, each personality type reacts to their money and can respond. So it's going to be a macro level of this. And then um, soon you'll have access to a micro level. You can dig down into each type and how you react or respond with your money called Wealth360. So this is Wealth360 overview, 30,000 foot level. But I want to talk through how each type deals with money. Okay, there we go. So as always, I'm going to start with Enneagram 8, which is in the upper left-hand corner. And once you take the Enneagram starter program to find your number, you'll understand why I start there. But 8, 9, and 1 are the triad, three triads, of course, that's what triad means. Um, 8, 9, and 1 are the gut, the body, the action triad. And then, uh, so that's why we start with 8, not um, 9, which is at the top, or 1, which would make sense numerically. But 8 is the beginning of the action triad. So 8, 9, and 1 have a lot in common, um, but also express that commonality very differently. So what do they have in common? So they're all intense. 8, 9, and 1 are intense. Um, but 8 really expresses it out into the world. And when it comes to money, on the bottom side of these circles, for those who are watching, I show the reaction kind of relationship with money. And then on the top is the response. So the fears underneath, and then the, the courage, the strength, um, proactive is, you know, responsive is, is on the top. So how does an eight react to money? An eight is called the challenger, um, the advocate. Sometimes I go back and forth. It's it, um, in Hebrew, I might call it the nudnik, which is just an untranslatable word, but I'll just translate it as a pain in the ass. 
Uh, I say that because I am an eight and we get to, um, you know, be rough on our own type. And good for good reason. Eights are tough, right? Eights are the most intense of the Enneagram types. So eights really grapple with control. You know, we, we come off as the toughest type, but it's to cover up a vulnerability, which is really underneath the control, the, uh, the intensity. And so the Enneagram 8, the challenger, is, um, is, relates to money in an unhealthy way when they're becoming dominant, right? It's just this like power to overpower, to um, go out in the world and get my way, force my way. Disproportionate amount of CEOs are eights, probably eights and threes, um, maybe some sevens, but eights and threes, I think disproportionately make the most money out in the world. They tend to, um, partially because they're so hard driven. Eights, sevens, and threes are the most active or intense, and also because they're the most forceful. And in a corporate type culture, that unfortunately is oftentimes rewarded, although I think that's changing in a in our modern context. But nonetheless, eights can really abuse wealth, power as power, uh, dominance. It also can be used as a form of protection, right? Trying to protect oneself by creating a buffer with that money. And so that's an unhealthy or reactive relationship with money that an eight can have. Now, remember, again, all Enneagram types are there to define us as an unhealthy or, you know, when we're in fear or reaction. They show us where we go when we're unconscious, but it's not who I am. I am not an eight. I react like an eight, but I can respond certainly like a healthy eight on the high side of eight. And I can respond like any of these numbers. So the point is, is to defy your number. Well, I defy that kind of need for dominance or intensity or, you know, protection when I get vulnerable, when I get into what the, the Enneagram calls my innocence, right? And stop judging the world so harshly when I ease up. You know, Ariella will all the time tell me, take a deep breath, right? Get out of this intensity mode. You're pushing too hard. You're working too hard. It's going to be okay. And when I, when I get out of that and when I let go, get back into this innocence, into this quiet place within me, a trust, then it's no longer about dominance or protection. It's about an openness, a vulnerability, right? The word vulnerability connected to the idea of opening, opening our heart, sharing, letting people in, not having to feel like I'm on the defensive or offensive all my life or as an Enneagram 8. So um, the other piece of that is empowerment. You know, the deeper side of power. Enneagram 8s are powerful, but not in this dominant external way, but in, a, in an empowering way. You know, Martin Luther King and Mother Teresa were Enneagram 8s. So they spent their life Finding power from within, you know, this power to be free regardless of your circumstances, regardless of the color of your skin or your financial um, poverty level and finding that power within, teaching others how to find it. So that's really the, the best of what an eight has to offer this empowerment. Okay, Enneagram 9 and their fundamental relationship with money. Again, extremes and kind of caricatures, but it's important to know the extremes. And when an Enneagram 9 reacts, again, the Enneagram 9 is oftentimes known as the peacemaker at their best, this, this peace and harmony 
that they just exude. I have a daughter who's a nine. I have a sister who's a nine. I'm looking at my um, Enneagram map over here. I have a map of all the subtypes. And I would say probably, let's see, I'm kind of like 10 to 15 clients that I've been working with that are nines. So I get nines. I like nines. You know, they're not um, coincidentally next to my type eight. Um, they're there for a reason because they're a yin and a yang. One's intense and overexpresses this action. One's, what's the opposite of intense? Mellow, calm, and they underexpress. Now, there's a shadow side to being a nine because all of these types, not one is not better than the other. They each have their shadows and their light. The shadow side of being so easygoing and so peaceful is that oftentimes it's coming from a place of reaction, of avoiding, avoiding conflict, avoiding confrontation. And that oftentimes means for a nine that he or she puts her voice to the side or packs it away and puts her needs, you know, uh, subservient to other people's needs because there's conflict in getting your needs met. Eights create a lot of conflict. Nines avoid conflict. Well, that translates into money. So I see a lot with money and nines, um, this kind of if they're unconscious, this avoidance of money, because money brings with it conflict. Money brings with it tension. It's uncomfortable to talk about money, especially for a nine. It can become heated. You know, I lived in Israel for many years, about three different times. And Israel, the Middle East, is a haggling culture. Like just, you know, prices are suggestive in a marketplace. They're not... Um, definitive. And so you're almost expected in many places to haggle. Well, this is hell for a nine. A nine does not want to haggle because inherently in haggling is conflict. And so I saw over and over again, Enneagram nines really struggle in a Middle Eastern culture, get walked on. But you got to search yourself. Um, so that's uh, part of their reaction to, to money is it's inherently conflict. And the other is um, seeking money out for comfort, to buy comfort, to hide in comfort. Nines are notorious for, they're, they're called, um, their vice is called lethargy, laziness. They're not lazy. They just are become kind of lethargic or lazy when conflict is around and they'll hide, they'll retreat into areas or places or spaces that um, don't bring conflict. So they'll use money to buy experiences that are just numbing. And they oftentimes will find different ways to numb. And money can be a numbing agent. So that's the low side. The high side is that when a nine finds her voice, this is the work I do with a nine, to find your voice, take back your power, she also takes it back from money. She stops resisting money and understands it's a means. Money is not good. It is not bad. It is amoral. It has no moral value. What we do with our money determines the value. This is a very important point. Your money isn't inherently um, valued. It's how you use it. It's what you use it for. It's how you perceive it. Well, a nine can stop seeing money as something negative or conflicting and start seeing it as a means, as a vehicle to um, translate her values into action, to give to causes that are worthy, to invest in things she believes in, to make her stand in life. One of the ways we do that is through money, through compensation. So often nines and a couple other types won't get their, their fair share or their 
Um, they won't ask for what they believe they're worth. And that is not a healthy place to be. We need to make our needs known and get our needs met. That's why they're called needs and not wants. So nines can really step into their power and use money as a source of strength and also creating harmony. People are more likely to get along when everybody is has what their needs met. Um, when there is affluence, you don't have to be rich, but you have to have enough that you don't need to wage war on the neighbor, on the next country. And so, you know, money can be a source of harmony. Capitalist countries don't go to war against each other for a reason, because they figured out better ways, not perfect ways, but better ways to find harmony in their relations with one another through economic means. So nines can really get in their power and use, not be used by money. Moving on to Enneagram 1, finishing up the body or instinct triad. Um, Enneagram 1 is called the reformer, sometimes negatively called the perfectionist. They strive towards these ideals, these levels of integrity. All nine types have them and care about them, but ones put them even higher up on the list of priorities. It doesn't mean they're more principled. It just means that they that's their go-to when trying to navigate the world. Sometimes um, less principled and having to struggle with that. It's very hard when a nine, uh, when a one isn't living up to their principles. Okay, so relating to money, um, ones react to money around their beliefs that money can be corrupting, and it can be corrupting. Again, it's not moral or immoral, it's amoral, but we, um, you know, watch movies, you watch the news, you talk to people, I think in kind of shallow terms about money, and money is the root of all evil. Well, ones, if they're unconscious, will start thinking that it's necessarily a corruptive element, a corruptive device, just like, you know, drugs are. Well, that's not true. Drugs are not corrupting. Uh, every time you, um, you know, you get sick, you go to the doctor, they'll give you drugs. So it depends on what you're using them for. Alcohol is a drug, right? Is it um, corrupting? I don't believe so. I think it can be. We know people who can destroy their lives from it. But every Friday night, we make the kiddush, the um, beginning of Shabbat, the Sabbath celebration using wine. So it can be sanctifying. That's what um, Kiddush means, to sanctify. So it depends how you use it. Well, same is true with money. So money is not inherently corrupting. And ones can use that as a way to push away money, as an excuse not to make money or to justify the way they're using money. And that's just reaction. When they challenge those beliefs uh, and they stop using money, by the way, as control, that's the other piece of it. Ones are if they're unconscious, if they're reactive, they're probably the most controlling ones and eights. Um, but ones are much more kind of perfectionistic. And again, reacting, they'll use money to control their environment, their circumstances, the people around them. And that's reaction. Now, when they do the work, when they go to the higher side of their um, Enneagram type, they choose, like Dr. Frankel says, to stop reacting and start responding as a one. They will move more towards the deeper side of perfection, not being perfectionistic, right? That's 
um, losing oneself in the quest for perfection. But perfection is about, you know, I think of the Hebrew word shlemut, which means more of a wholeness. It's more of, and the word shalom is in there. It's it's perfecting the world as making it as whole as possible and understanding that messiness and imperfection is built into the system. Well, ones will start using their money to help perfect the world. Ones can be the most giving philanthropically of all types. And it comes from this deep longing to perfect the world. Money is a means to accomplish that. And money can also be a means to align yourself with your values, to make sure you're living your values. It's a litmus test. You want to know how somebody's values says in the Talmud, look how they spend their money. Look at what they spend their money on and that'll show you their values. And so ones, when they're responding like money as an opportunity to show, to demonstrate their values to themselves and to others, um, that they're living in alignment with integrity. Integrity means wholeness. Okay, Enneagram 2, 3, and 4, the heart types or the feeling-based triad have a Similar, but, you know, nuanced relationship with money of these uh, three in the triad. Enneagram 2, the helper, the nurturer, the probably most relationship-oriented of all the Enneagram types. This is the Enneagram type that is all about connection at their best. But at their worst, they will start manipulating relationships. Um, Enneagram 2s do not like to hear this, and it doesn't mean if you're a 2, you're a manipulator. It means... Enneagram twos operate from this place of feeling like they're not enough. Two, three, and four all live with this perennial feeling of I'm not enough. Now twos try and overcome that by proving that they're needed, that they're worthy of love um, by being relationship oriented, tending to your needs. And so twos will manipulate around money. I've heard many stories of unhealthy twos offering money to family members or friends with strings attached, even if the strings aren't articulated, but it's kind of a give to get at a very unhealthy level. You know, you have to be uh, be wary of a two that's giving you something and it could be money, it could be compliments, it could be time and attention if it's coming from a place of give to get. Now, a two that's working with me, because I work with a lot of twos, a lot of nines, they are on the higher side and they understand that's a natural reaction if they're unconscious subtle or not so subtle ways, and they'll stop trying to manipulate around money and they'll start understanding it as an opportunity to connect. You know, twos notoriously buy things for loved ones. Well, that's a wonderful gift, but sometimes twos will give them even if they don't want to give them. They'll give them um, if they can't afford to give it. They'll make contributions to charity that they just are living beyond their means. And so a healthy two will understand that in that moment, it's no longer about connection. It's something else. And he or she will take a step back and they'll become more conscious about their money and they'll use it as a way to build connection, to build relationship, to give when it's time to give and to not give as an act of love, to say no when it's time to not give. But it's money is always revolving around relationship for twos and building them. Enneagram three, the achiever. This is the success-oriented Enneagram type, like the name suggests. Enneagram threes um, live with this feeling of not enough and try and overcompensate by achieving, creating, producing, succeeding. Two, three, and four are all the 
sort of more image conscious and threes, especially in image conscious. And it can get in the way when they're in reaction, when they're in fear, they'll really want to be seen for how do they look around money and the things money can buy cars and houses and, and image is very important. It'll be achievement oriented, all about um, acquisition, right? How much can you buy? It's, it's a stereotypical um, understanding of, of money and the Enneagram three, they take a lot of whipping in like Hollywood, you know, movies of crass threes, you know who they are. Nobody lives um, only like that. These are caricatures to help us understand the extremes of a, of an Enneagram type. And this Enneagram three unhealthy can really be caught up in image and, and acquisition, the things money can buy. Now, when he or she does the work, it's no longer about look at me. It's no longer about money as a status symbol or a means to get what I want and show the world that I got it. It becomes more of a vehicle to achieve at the deepest level, right? To create, to build. And it isn't for self. This is a type that really needs to do work around self-transcendence, as Dr. Frankel talks about. I'd say threes, fours, and sevens in my experience really need to do the most work around getting past themselves. And when they do, they lift others up around them like no other types, especially threes. There's nothing like being around a successful three who's successful on all levels, not just financially. And he or she will inspire Right? These are the presidents and the CEOs and the prom queens and kings and the winners, but at the deepest level at that point. And it is now about no longer image, but about inspiration, right? To, to breathe that, respire, inspire, to breathe that life into others as you all ascend and achieve highest potential. And Enneagram 4, last but not least of the um, feeling or heart types, Enneagram four is probably the least motivated by money and almost turned off for rejectionists around money because they're the um, individualists, the, the romantics, the artists. They want to be seen as special. They live with this feeling of not enough um, and want to be special or unique to stand out to prove their worth. Well, money in their words is, is banal, is um, mundane. These are <laughs> Enneagram four words. Is ordinary, right? It's plebeian, it's um, crass. And so, you know, the starving artist image is really a way of pushing off financial wealth to show that you are beyond it, that you're more special than that. That's reaction. Everybody needs money. Everybody needs means. Again, it's not inherently valuable. It's the value we give it. Well, fours do the opposite of threes, whereas threes define themselves by four, uh, by it. Fours define themselves by it just negatively, by not having it. So the work of an Enneagram 4 is to um, stop treating it negatively as a deficiency, right? It's something to be avoided and gotten rid of and having meaning that it doesn't have and find it as a vehicle to allow them to create their art, as an example. An artist needs canvas and paints and a space and that stuff costs money. So you know, it becomes a means to express their creativity. Um, all creativity needs a means in this world to become manifest. Artists engage in the real world too. 
They just sometimes are not honest about it. It's about um, being honest. It's about embracing money as a means to an end. And the means is to be creative, to express themselves and share the best of what they have with the world. Okay, moving on to the last three, Enneagram 5, 6, and 7. This is, these are the head types. Thinking is their default. Enneagram 5 is the inward thinker. They take all this energy and they really go inward. They are the investigator at their best. They can become isolationists. Um, um, you know, the hermit, if they're not careful, disappearing from society. And they treat money in a reactionary way as if similar to the four, they reject it. Fours reject it because it's plebeian, it's ordinary, it gets in the way of their art. Fives can reject it because it's a, it draws down on their resources. It's, you know, consuming. And fives are conservative with a small c. By nature, they are always conserving. They are always sometimes hoarding, withholding. They feel depleted by people, by emotion. They're the head type. They want to live, if they're, again, reactionary, unconscious in their head, in their thoughts, behind walls, minimizing, they're the minimalists, minimizing all of their externals um, so that they can live as meagerly as possible to expend as little energy as possible because they always feel like depletion is happening. And they go into survival mode. And that's not a life, that's surviving, but surviving is not enough. So when Enneagram 5s do the work, they ascend out of that reaction and that kind of holding up in the castle. They come out into the world, they participate, and money becomes a means to get there. So Elon Musk is a um, probably an Enneagram 5, and you know he's a healthy 5. Warren Buffett's an Enneagram 5, a healthy 5. They use money to participate in the world in big ways. I mean, those two are, are massive participants in the world. And you can feel with both of them, they have a, a detachment to the money. They don't care about the money. It's not about the money for them versus, you know, more of a Wall Street type, which, you know, clearly is more of a three type. But this is much more about what they create, like the four, but how they're participating in the world and building those bridges. That's a healthy five. And then emanation is knowing that everything they need comes from within. So they don't spend their life hoarding. They have enough. They don't need, you know, money. Yes. Does it come from the outside world? Well, yes, but it really comes from the inside of us. We generate the money based on our ideas, our desires that translates into action, into worth. A five will get back into the best of themselves when they stop believing that they don't have what they need. Like the fours, they have what they need. It comes from within. And once they do, they stop hoarding their resources. Okay. Enneagram six, also a thinking type at the center of thinking. They're sort of, they struggle with thoughts. They spin around and around. Whereas a five goes all into thinking and a seven represses thinking and comes across as almost not thinking. Six is get into analysis paralysis. And you can see this around money where they start to worry. You know, sixes will naturally worry about everything. Money becomes preoccupying and can even paralyze um, a six because they define it as a source of, of um, safety. And if you don't have enough money, you're not safe. And so they'll 
weave lots and lots of stories that, you know, 99% of the time aren't true, but they're, they'll freak themselves out. I work with a lot of sixes as well. And part of my work is to help remind them that just because they're telling a story to themselves doesn't mean it's true, that they're actually okay. They become very suspicious um, if they're unhealthy, if they're reactive. And, and that can happen around money where suspicion around money itself, suspicion around people who make it, who have it, who want it, um, who ask you for it. And so again, almost a paranoia type of a feeling and money really exacerbates that. On a healthy side, when a six does the work, steps into his or her courage and deals with their fears, they start to understand money is it is important. And it's not just safety as in sort of survival, it's security, but not the not just the you know buy guns and alarm systems. Security is in building a life of security, instilling in uh, instilling security into others. And sixes become really amazing sources of security in the lives of others. I have a good friend who's a um, six and he spent a lot of his life as a cop. And he, you know, like all sixes, grapples with his fears. But he channeled that through finding courage and dealing with that by giving to others sense of security as a police officer. So you can do the same thing around money. And then service. When sixes shift into service mode of duty and you know loyalty and honor and service, understanding money is a means to that end. They have a whole new relationship with money. It becomes a vehicle for instilling security into the lives of others. And they oftentimes will make a lot of money and they'll also do a lot of good with that money. And last but not least, sevens, probably one of the more interesting types around money. They, um, the enthusiast, the sometimes enthusiastic visionary, they're the fun ones on the Enneagram. They're the larger than life kind of personalities, oftentimes, not always. They're always moving and sh shaking and dealing and rolling and off to the next adventure. Well, they react by not wanting to face reality. You know, they're kind of Peter Pan, oftentimes described as the Peter Pan of the Enneagram. They don't want to grow up. They don't want to take responsibility. And so money becomes a source of obligation that they're just not ready for. They don't want or they don't realize they're reacting against it. Sevens oftentimes take longer to mature and grow up than the other types. They're just looking to have fun. And it's great when you're in your teens and 20s. It's not so compelling when you're in your 30s, 40s and beyond. They'll react and money will just be um, something that they'll, they'll make, but it becomes a source of obligation and they're obligated, limited. They don't like limits and money can put some limits. The job that earns the money can certainly put limits on you. Sevens really grapple with this when they're unhealthy, unconscious. And again, pleasure seeking, you know, using money as a source to buy pleasure. Challenges for sevens, for anybody, it's never enough. That's why they become gluttonous, it says in the Enneagram world. They um, just need more and more to get less and less. And so the work of a seven is to grow up, to transcend themselves, like I said before, to serve, to tend to others, take care of others. And so Enneagram sevens um, start taking on responsibility as a source, interestingly, of freedom. 
Dr. Frankel talks about two different types of freedom. There's freedom from, right? And that's how Enneagram 7 begins their life. Freedom from. I don't want to be bound by relationships or jobs or, you know, expectations. So I want to be free from. But Dr. Frankel says the higher side of freedom is freedom to. I am now free to serve. I am free to give. I am free to participate. And sevens, when they grow up, they have this energy like nobody else. They channel it towards others, towards a greater good. And they have this capacity to earn a lot of money because they're just, you know, salespeople. They're likable. They're good at what they um, set their minds to doing and usually service related. And so they'll utilize their wealth and their resources to do good, to pioneer new directions in life. Lots of Silicon Valley are founded by sevens. Probably the CLOs and the techs are more fives, but sevens are great entrepreneurs. And so when they grow up and they take responsibility, they experience a true freedom like never before when uh, they were unconscious. And that's how they respond. And so those are the nine basic, you know, again, 30,000 foot view of ways that each type reacts to money and responds to money. Have a whole program eventually coming out around this Wealth 360, again, with my friend, Michael Feiner. Um, jump over to defiantspirit.org. You can learn more about that. And in the meantime, you can find out your Enneagram number. You can discover your number. So you can defy your number through my new program, Defy Your Number. Jump over there, check it out, shoot me an email, tell me about your number, your experience about your number, struggles with your number, and your uh, especially your relationship with money. And I can incorporate it into my new program. I would love to hear from you. So shoot me an email at um, baruch, B-A-R-U-C-H at mysoulcenter.org. And until the next time, defy your number, live your spirit. Shalom, salam, namaste. Peace. You've been listening to the Soul Center Podcast with your hosts Ariella and Baruch Halevi. If you'd like to learn more about Soul Center, please visit mysoulcenter.org. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at mysoulcenter. And if you found meaning and inspiration in this podcast, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. We'd also love to hear from you to connect with you. So please reach out to us. And until then, we wish you shalom, salam, namaste, and peace.